right, if you have your Bibles or your devices or your neighbor's Bible or device, we're going to turn to Romans 8. Oh, man, and let me just tell you, this one was so difficult for me in studying, not because the passage is difficult, though it is. There's a lot of meaty stuff, but it was just that that it's, it's super meaty and, like, mathematically eight is after one through seven so there were seven chapters of stuff that we won't talk about before we get to this point um, I can tell y'all have been reading your word and you've been studying if you get a chance go back and read through one through seven but especially five six seven eight because he sets this up so good. Romans is probably Paul's most robust description of the gospel, and it's clear, and it's good. So if you are confused about the gospel, if you want a good explanation about it, Romans is so good. Read 1 through 7, but definitely 5, 6, 7, and 8. I don't have time to preach 5, 6, 7, and 8, because we could do that all year. So I'm just going to share Romans 8 with you. And you're also going to get some Kiara commentary as I do this. Because um, when I was reading it, there were some words that I was like, we don't use this word. We don't ever talk about this. We don't ever talk like this. So I needed to find some ways to wrap my mind around it so that I could understand it, so that I could apply it, so that I could receive it. So we're going to read through this, this passage. It's long, so strap in. We're going to read through it together, and I'll pause periodically to give you some Kiara commentary. All right, let's start at verse 1. I'm reading, I'm sorry, I'm reading out of ESV, but the NIV is on the screen because we usually read out of NIV. But if I do, I will stumble because my heart has ESV on this. Okay, does it make sense? Great, here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This word flesh is weird. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Weird. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. Weird. But according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh. It's just progressively getting weirder. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Nice. We'll pause there. We're, gonna, we're going all the way to 17, but we're going to pause at 12 because that's a meaty chunk. So we'll just take that. I don't know if you heard me, but I feel like flesh is a weird word. Except for in the poem, it worked out real good there. Very cute. But in general, flesh is not a word that we hear. 
because so, it just is unusual to talk about. So when I thought about that, I don't know what it makes you think of, but it makes me think of zombies. I feel like that's the only context in which flesh is used, you know? There's this flesh-eating disorder that has consumed these zombies, and now they're taking over Las Vegas. That is, <laughs> that's the context in which I, so oh, I said, okay, Maybe I will read this from the perspective of zombies, since that's the only time I ever hear this word used. So I went back and I read the scripture again. For those who, I'm starting at five, um, just you can listen or read, do whatever you want. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay, zombies, think about zombie things. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That makes sense. All zombies are hostile. <laughs> For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. All right, so this word flesh, Paul means it um, to talk about our bodies, the physical bodies that we have, but it's a word that has more connotations. But I'm still studying this out, so I'm thinking about zombies still. So let me just tell you some ways that you can identify a zombie. I know that you deeply wonder at night, how do I identify a zombie? If they happen to come, how will I know that I've seen one? Well, um, some obvious ways, you know, this thing. <laughs> there are some obvious ways, you know. There's that. I'm going to step back so I don't fall off the stage. There's that. Um, there is some, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have some of those. or some deeper ones. There's the, uh, uh. <laughs> there's that thing. And then there, you know, depending on what brand of zombie you have, you have some that say brains, you know, and then some that just make and sounds. And if you've ever seen um, any zombie movie, they walk kind of slow. But if you've seen the uh, World War Z, they run which is terrifying. Nobody needed that image of them running towards you. That's awful. But in general, they walk, you know, pretty slow. And how they, there's some really important keys. One, um, chances are some disease broke out because somebody did something they shouldn't have been doing. So now the disease has broke out, and these people are infected with this disease that turned them into a zombie. That's the first characteristic. Secondly, they are enslaved to their appetite. It doesn't matter if you put a wall and another wall and another wall. They're going to keep walking right into that wall because brains is beyond them. And so it's just for eternity because that's how they work. And, and lastly, whoo, it's dangerous up here. All right, lastly, they're dead, but they're still moving. You, they're dead. They're not alive. They're infected. They're not here, but they're still walking around. And so I don't know what your thoughts are about zombies. It's starting to hit you. I hear it. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are about zombies, but it's important to know that it is a futile effort to rehabilitate a zombie. Okay? You don't meet a zombie and say, bad zombie, no brains. That's not a thing. Okay? If it's me and you and this zombie and this apocalypse, you better kill it. Kill it. Okay, get the hatchet, whatever you, we're not doing this. Because you don't, you don't rehabilitate a zombie. That's not how they deal with them in the movies. You kill it. All right. So Paul is saying, just a little bit of chapter 7. I'm not off track, but a little bit off track. It's all right, y'all survive. Chapter 7, 
he says that the law is so okay let, let, let's back up a little bit we start off with verse 2 which says for the law of the spirit has set you free this is 8 2 has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death and then it goes to talk about your flesh Paul in chapter 7 really breaks down what this flesh is about he really explains this condition that we're in because he says that sin seized our members and took hold of us. That's what he says in chapter 7. He doesn't describe it like bad behavior. It's not like doing bad stuff took over us. It's not that. He describes, it is that, but it's not just that. He describes it like a power. When the scripture talks about powers and principalities and high place, he describes it like a power that infected us and took over our members and seized us and led us to do these things, right? So unfortunately, my goal today is to give you good news, but I gotta give you all the bad news first, all right? So unfortunately, can you go back to the zombie slides? Essentially, you don't gotta read all of chapter seven, you should, but go to the next one. We were, essentially Paul is saying, we were the walking dead. Essentially, he's saying we've been infected with a horrible condition called sin that took over our members that see that's what Paul said it seized our members we were enslaved to our appetites and I don't have to convince you of that you're fasting right now if you've never liked donuts all of a sudden it's just like I have I have to have a blueberry donut you don't even like blueberry you don't even like blueberry but it's just crying out in you it's crying out and you were a slave to that and you were dead, but still moving. Walking around this earth, but dead. And that last part is so important because you are dead in, in, in two ways, and I want to highlight those. The first way um, is obvious because of the works that you're doing. Zombies infect other people with their illness. You walking around infecting other people with your sin. If it wasn't enough that you were, weren't born into sin, you're doing your own sins. Me too. This ain't shame. We all, all of our condition. So you're dead by the sake of, by the things that you've done, by the works that you've done, but also you're dead because of the law. So um, what's so funny to me, on these movies, there's always, there's always like the news reporters who, who there's like a zombie apocalypse going on in the city and the news reporters are like, yes, I'm here. I'm here live in Las Vegas where there are zombies that are continuing to eat people. I don't know how long we last. Ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, why are you standing there? <laughs> Do you think that you are immune? You need to move. You need to go somewhere. But then, you know, I, like, journalists do that in real life, not with zombie apocalypse, but they do that in real life because it's important to report on what's happening. It's important to make the people aware of what's happening. That's why they do that. The law came not just as a reporter to just tell of what's happening, but as a faithful, I don't know what to call it, as a faithful diagnoser. What a, what a doctor, what's the word for diagnoser? Diagnoser. Y'all have one? All right, great, diagnoser. The law came as a faithful diag diagnostic, diagnoser, to say, <laughs> all right, before then y'all didn't know what the disease was, you didn't know what you were infected with, but you're clearly going around infecting everybody. Let me come in to say this is what the disease is. And it is in fact a disease. And not only did it pronounce the diagnosis for this disease, sin that infects, but also it pronounced the sentence for that disease. 
This disease, because it's a zombie disease, cannot be rehabilitated. It must be killed. There is no other way. So Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The law pronounced that. The law was the one to say sin leads to death. No other way. The wages of sin is death. Wages is a word that you think of when you get your paycheck. So if you work in sin, you get paid in death. The payment for sin is death. And the law came to pronounce that. And that's so good because you don't want to just like be friends with a virus. You want to kill it. If you ever had a cold, you know you want this thing to be out of your body. So we thank God for the righteous judgment of this sin, that it deserves death, right? That was good and holy and righteous, but that put us in a really bad spot because we're infected. It lives, it lives in our skin. Paul says, I, the stuff I want to do, I can't even do. This is chapter 7, he says, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I don't want to do, I do. So when I do what I don't want to do, I know that there's something else going on inside me because I don't even want to do this. That's what he's saying. That's, that's sin. That's that power that he's talking about that lives inside our skin, regardless of color. It just lives there. So our condition is pretty bad. And the law came to pronounce our righteous judgment. And chapter 7 says sin took advantage of that judgment condemning us all to death. If sin gotta die, and I'm in you, you gotta die too. And that's awful! That's so messed up! I would be so mad if I tried to live my life really well and then got affected with a zombie plague and then had to die. I would be so mad! <laughs> I went to school. <laughs> I did other stuff. I don't want that. But that's, that's the wickedness of sin. Its desire is to both I don't know, condemn and accuse you. Like it, 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 it takes advantage of the righteousness of the law. The law is still good and holy because its assessment of what happens is good and holy. But sin's use of the law effectively put us to death. So when I said you were dead because of your works and you were dead the second way, the second way is because the law killed you. The law pronounced the judgment that also applied to you and that day you died. So you've been alive outside of Christ, but you've been dead this whole time. And you can see that and you can feel that in your life. This is bad news. This is not great. Paul, when he realizes this bad news, sometimes he gets dramatic and I love it. He says, for I find it to be a law, this is 721, for I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my, in my inner being. Maybe I want to be better. But I see in my members' skin another law waging war against this law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Whew. Some of my, when I'm in therapy, um, people's lives are hard. That's why they've come to see me. And sometimes they just want to escape. And I tell them, there's nowhere that you can escape that you won't be. You can run, but you're going to be there when you get there. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm carrying around death with me in my skin. Who can deliver me from my very skin? That's a hard condition. So then, 
that's where we stand condemned. I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm trying to like stay on track. All right, so we have the we have the pronouncing of our judgment that we are condemned. Um, we have the condition of our sin. I think I want to tell you one more story. Are y'all okay with that? All right, cool. Listen, are we a family for real? Okay, this story that I'm gonna tell, I need y'all to still be my family after this. All right, because it's deeply embarrassing, but we all got embarrassment, right? All right, so um, some of y'all know I moved from Georgia. Georgia has its own variety of pests, and the North has its own variety of pests. We don't have the same kinds of pets, pests. Georgia has roaches. The North has other things. So, and when I, when I moved into my last house, I had a laundry chute, which is the coolest thing I think anyone has ever invented. If I was small enough, I would try to jump down it. That's not recommended, but I just think it's so cool. I love it so much. So since I can't jump down, I throw all my clothes down, because that's what you're supposed to do. So I throw my clothes down, and sometimes we'll get to them, and sometimes we wouldn't get to them. So one time, I threw all my clothes down. My clothes would sit in a pile next to the washing machine. I would come down, I pick them up, I put them in the washing machine. One time I go downstairs. Is this okay that I'm telling the story? All right, cool. We good. We good. I'm trying to keep my marriage alive, okay? Um, I should have asked permission. I go downstairs to pick up my clothes, and they're heavier than I, like, suspected. And I'm picking them up, and I'm like, this is weird. Like, it's just a couple sweaters. Like, why? And a rat falls out of this sweater. <laughs> You would have thought I was in a horror movie. Oh my gosh. Devonta came running. I'm like, ah, ah, you know, like losing it. And Devonta comes downstairs. He's like, what? Wow, he's a rat. And so, you know, he being the wonderful, strong, feisty man that he is, wants to get a tennis racket because this is our weapon that we have. And he's like, where is the rat? And I'm like, I don't know. So we were running through our basement with, you know, a tennis racket and. <laughs> I don't know, a broom and deep terror. That's what we were running through the basement in, trying to catch this rat. We did not catch the rat. Yeah, so that means you just live in your house like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this rat is anywhere. This rat could be anywhere. I started thinking about uh, the Prince of Egypt where it says, and the song is like, in your house and in your home and on your set, on, upon your cattle and your sheep. I'm like, this rat could be anywhere. It's in my cereal, on my house. It's everywhere, and I'm so terrified at this point because it could just be anywhere. So we start to live differently because we don't know where this rat is. So things that we used to be able to do, we don't do because, I don't know, this sucks. <laughs> Eventually, oh wait, okay, are there any like wild rat enthusiasts, like you love wild rats? Anybody? Okay, one person. Listen, you my deep friend, close your ears. Put your hands on your ears right now. We killed the rat. <laughs> we killed it. <laughs> Don't come to my house. Pests, we killed it. And with the tennis racket. It was not pretty. All right, me, my husband, a dear friend of ours came, we killed this rat. All right, um, <laughs> I'm telling you this story not just because it is uh, good and cathartic to share my shame with other people. I'm telling you this story because thinking about one rat in my house was like, man, I have loved living here up to this point. I don't know if I want to keep living here. This is so hard. <laughs> but thinking about the entire house, imagine if the entire house was overrun by rats. 
Imagine now, keep, keep, yes, yes, all the oohs, give them. Imagine that, and there's termites, and there's roaches straight from Atlanta. All of these pests, like an, 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 a plethora of pests. At this point, the whole house, we done. <laughs> the whole house needs to be burned to the ground. That's it. The whole house, the city, if they came to see this, would say the house is what? House is condemned. They would condemn the house because it's overrun by pests. It stands in this condition that's overrun by pests. Jesus, we're coming to 8-1 to because the chapter 8 is so good because it starts with the good news. Jesus, walk with me this analogy, is walking by my house, deeply aware of the termite issue. A few rats run out the door. And he's like, that one. That's the one. That's the house for me. And the neighbors are like, are you crazy? That house ain't worth it. It's not worth anything. Do you see how overrun it is? Do you see how broken it is? It's not worth it. Not at all. Come on. You better off just trying to start over. Just find a new house, build it from the ground. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. That one, that one is the one for me. That's the house. I love it. And I, some of y'all who watch HGA or who are real estate agents, you might know that they say houses have good bones. I know what it looks like now, but I know the original design of this house, and I know that the bones are good. So I will not, I will not be walking away from this sale. What is it going to cost me to get this house? What is it going to cost me? That's what Jesus does when he walks by our house. He says, what's it going to cost me? Now, imagine with me, stay with me in this analogy. Jesus' house, it's two doors down the block. Beautiful. I mean, no pest. You walk in, oh, holy, righteous. Right? And I know, I know you know this from living up here. When one house starts to get pests, the pests migrate to other houses. So if this house is condemned to this degree, all these neighbor houses are also in danger. So imagine that all of these houses are continually being overrun by these pests. And Jesus is the only person with a house that is not infested. Only one with a holy house. Only one with houses that are beautiful. Only one. So he walks by our dirty fixer-upper of a house, and he says, I want this one. What's it going to cost me? Whoever this person is talking to him says, I'll trade you your house for that one. That's not a fair trade. I'm not taking that. If I'm the real estate agent, absolutely not. I'm not taking that. That's not, that's not Jesus. He's not like that. He's like, okay, this is what I'll do. How about you send me all of the infestation. Bring it all into my house. And I will destroy my house so that theirs doesn't have to be destroyed. How about that? Take the condemned sign off their house, put it outside my door, send the rats from their house into my house, send the termites into my house, break out all my windows, crack my foundation, do all of that, and I will destroy this house so that that house doesn't have to be condemned. Wow. 
the real estate agent, are you crazy? Do you know you have the only good house on the block? You could rule with this house. Isn't that what the disciples said? You could rule. You could overthrow Rome. No, 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 no. But I wouldn't get the house that I like. If I, if I, if I live in this house by myself, I wouldn't get the one that I want. This, this, is, this is the love that I have for this house. I'm not, no, no, no. And so he does it. He prophesies it. He says, oh, what does he say? Destroy this temple and I'll build it up again in three days. This is appropriate to talk about us, us like buildings and him like a building. It's appropriate in scripture. He takes all of our infestation, self-inflicted and other inflicted, and destroys the house. Buries it to the ball. Came in like a rat. He destroys it. <laughs> Burns it to the ground. People are celebrating. Some people are mourning because that was the most beautiful house that they had. There was hope. They had hoped in one thing. Man, it just, it's, just a, it's a mixed crowd the day that that happens. But he does that. Now the good news is that Jesus, being the only one with an uninfested house, being the only one uninfected by the zombie plague, he is the only one with actual, he's the only one who had it. All of us were condemned, all of us were infected, all of us were dead, he's the only one that had life. And when he made this trade, he said, I will take on your death, I will take on your destruction that you were headed for, and when I raise from the dead, you can have my life. You can have my life instead. Thinking of that is just wild. Why would you do that for me? You can have my life instead. And so some of us have heard about this. Some of us have, or some of us were there to see it. However we came to the story of this, word starts spreading. Hey, there's this guy who, if you had a condemned house, he will take all of the stuff. And that's what we've said, mm-hmm. And we've said, mm-hmm, with our lives. We've said yes with our lives. We've said yes because this, this condition, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I'm overrun by all kind of pests. And do you hear the connotation for pests? I'm overrun by lust, I'm overrun by pride, I'm overrun by gossip, I'm overrun by cancer, I'm overrun by all kinds of vermin. I'm overrun. How, oh, wretched man that I am, how, who will save me from this body of death? I heard there was a man who was somehow taking this stuff that I have and trading it for something better. I don't even know, but wherever he is, please let me find him. Yes, please let me run to say yes. And this is how people in scripture, when they meet him in this low place, they are enamored by him and they run to him. When, when the woman at the well is illuminated by who Jesus is, it changes her whole life. She immediately changes her whole entire direction. Peter left everything, just started running on the water. I mean, because that's, that's the kind of, when you find him, there's nothing else better than when you find him. And you only find him because he was looking for you in the first place. Come on. Man. 
I lose stuff all the time. My glasses, my keys. I wish my glasses were looking for me when I'm looking for them. They are not. Jesus is the only one. <laughs> Jesus is the only one who's looking for you when you're looking for him. He found you first. Tag, he's it. So you said yes. You met this man with this crazy deal, and you said yes. Since you said yes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Woo! Jesus is good. Oh, you're so good. You deserve more worship than I have to give you. I will just give you my life in exchange. Woo! There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, the law of this God who has the only life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It freed you that moment from the death that you deserved. This is good news. It's good news because he is good. Whew. So the next part talks about how to live into that freedom. What time is it? Do y'all know? <laughs> that clock, 11.25? Okay, okay, cool. Y'all, I'm sweating. This hair is not good for sweat. All right. <sighs> My Lord. So then you moved into this new house. That's one part. You moved into his house. You changed kingdoms. You lived in a rat-infested neighborhood and you moved to a new kingdom, new king. He started to teach you how to live in this kingdom, right? He, try, he starts teaching you how, how owning, co-owning this home works. And um, one thing he warns, Paul warns in chapter eight, when he's talking about, um, oh, verse three, he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. I don't want to miss that really quick. We're going to go back and then forward. Um, the law couldn't do this. That's what he means in verse three. For Jesus has done what the law could not do. The law could only say this is bad, it's going to die. That's it. It's good, but that's all it can do. Jesus, to verse four, Oh, no, verse 3 again, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but now according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set, uh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, you don't live there anymore. You moved. You moved. You live in his house now. But sometimes when we live in his house, this is wild, but you're going to understand, we miss the rats. Okay, yes, some rats are bad, but like some are familiar. This one was cute. So we like every now and then like go over and kind of like dabble with the rats, hold a roach. <laughs> oh, do y'all hear the double connotation of that? Don't, don't at me, that's the spirit. 
Come on. All right. Holding roaches. Singing with the termites. Just wondering, man, what they doing over there? Show look like they having a good time. I remember I used to have a good time like that. That was really fun. And this is this is just normal. To, you know, the Israelites did this. I remember when we were in Egypt, we at least had food sometimes in Egypt, and it looked real good over there. Now what do we have? It's just manna stuff that's like falling from heaven daily. What is that? That's wild. I don't want that. But we do this, man. We have moved out of this residence, but that stuff sometimes calls to us. Do you know why? This part, I do not have enough time to preach, so I'm going to just like condense it. When you say yes to Jesus, he came and transformed your spirit. You and him are one. He transformed your soul. Your soul is being transformed. This is your mind, your will, and emotions being transformed into him. But what do we do about this physical body? Because even though you took on my condemnation, this body still has some of the effects of sin. It still wears out. It still gets old. It still gets disease. It still has urges. It still has appetites. It still desires things. So, so what about that part? I, I see that I'm transformed. I see that I'm in a new kingdom. But what about that part of me? What do I do? And verse 7 says that the flesh is hostile to God. It, it cannot submit to God's law and indeed will not. Sometimes, two things are happening. Sometimes we start to set our mind on the things of the flesh, these appetites and urges that are coming up because your body is still being redeemed. We set our mind on those things. We start to think about those things. We start to miss those things. And Satan loved that. He loves to come and rationalize with you and justify sin with you and then accuse you. He's so messy. Girl, that would look so good on you. She stole it. She stole it. That's him. Messy. Ooh. Ugly. That's how, that's, that's what this is. So he's saying, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will reap death. And even though you have, you have escaped condemnation, you still gonna start to get the effects of that death back in your life. And y'all have seen this, right? I don't have to explain this to you. Okay. This happens. You start dabbling with the, the things of this ki other kingdom. You start to reap the fruit of that other kingdom. Paul is admonishing the people here, don't do that. Don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. Set your mind on the things of the spirit. The spirit that you receive, set your minds on the things of that man who bought this for you. Go over there and talk to him and ask him what he's doing and set your mind on the things that he answers. Don't set your mind again on the things from your old house, from your old life, because that stuff produces death and you were in it and you know it. Galatians says that you are now ashamed of the things that you did when you were in that kingdom. So he's saying, don't set your mind on that. And then he goes on to say that Jesus will also raise your body from the dead. So your spirit is saved. Your soul is being transformed daily. And one day he's going to give you that full resurrection life in your body. So that's good news. This is the last little bit. And then we will be all done. This is also my favorite part. Verse 12, we haven't read it together yet. It says, so then, can we get it on the screen? Verse 12, the heirs of Christ part. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live 
we are debtors, sorry, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. My goodness. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. If this part doesn't exist, none of this is, none of this matters. If this section is not here, none of this matters. Imagine, how do I describe this? Pre this spirit living in you, it would be like us continually trying to fight our overrun house. Like us trying to just all day long shooting pests, shooting pests, na 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 na, you know, cleaning, painting walls, just trying so hard, and that was our condition. Like the law came and said this was what you should do, so then everybody spent forever just trying to do what they should do, trying to evict all the rats, trying, and we couldn't. Without this, our hope is like wonky, because we have a good savior, but then we just are left to try really hard. And in New Year's, you get a lot of messages like, New Year, New You, do a better thing. I've been doing that every year. <laughs> How many New You's do you want? <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't infinitely do that. It's not do better. This part is what transforms it. This is why the gospel is, is beautiful and has power, because it's not just, since you moved, do better now. It is my spirit has moved in you. You moved into Jesus's house and then the Holy Spirit moved into your house. So you are in him and he is in you. You are like a Holy Spirit sandwich. Both are happening at the same time. And this is so good because it says that the spirit, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. It says that it, the spirit of God in us cries, Abba, Father. So this is like you have your own spiritual maintenance man doing the work in you all the time. He's always, he is evicting the pest. He is cleaning your walls. He is repairing the windows. He is reestablishing your foundation. You have the whole God as your maintenance man in you. My house is going to be so clean if God is the maintenance man. My goodness. I couldn't even kill a rat with a tennis racket. But God is the maintenance man? This is so good. And it's so good. And we're coming to the end. Like we're on the last point. It's so good for two reasons. It's good, one, because if you are this condemned house and you have been in this condition for a really long time, you've been battling these pests for a really long time, suicidality, several other pests. That's the one that came to my heart just now. You've been battling these pests for a really long time because you live in this condemned house. He invites you to come. He invites you to come out of that house. I paid for this for you because I love you and I want you. 
And all you have to do is receive that if you want it. So it's good for that reason. And he will move in that day, that moment. The day you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, that moment. He will move in. But the other reason that's good, can you go to the very last slide? Or the, the one with two points on it. The other reason this is good um, for me, because I've already said yes to Jesus. Sometimes when I hear about the Holy Spirit, I am fired up. I am like, we are going to take the city today. I will not rest nor give you rest until I look at the believing. Okay, some days, like that's what happens in my spirit. Yeah, this is great. But some days, I don't got it. Even in Christ, the effects of sin are still around me, and sometimes they still get to me. Sometimes I still feel battered and bruised. Sometimes I still experience stuff that's hard. Personally, um, by February, I will have gone to four funerals in the last four months. Two of them have been family members. This is just not a fun season for me. And it's, I'm not special in this. So many of y'all were at these funerals with me. And so many of you have more funerals to go to. They're not even over yet. And some of you got a diagnosis that whatever was gone is back for the third or fourth or fifth or seventh time. Like we are not free from all the effects of this sin, even though God has set us free. Do you understand that? Our neighbors are still infected and that hurts us. And we still get beaten and bruised, got fired from your job. Finance is not looking right. Kids sick. They don't want you. Rejection another time. All of this stuff bothers me, as it should. And sometimes I don't have it. I don't have it to muster up. I don't have the energy. I don't have, I don't have it. I'm super low. For those of you who are in that place, the good news, and I think this is the thing I really wanted to tell you today, the good news is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit in you, has never taken a day off. When you don't have it, because life has just made it hard, he is still working in you. He is still painting. He is still restoring. He's still sweeping up glass. He's still mending broken wounds. He's still doing all the things that he said he would. He's still convincing you that you belong to him. He's still doing his good work, even when you don't have it. There's a scripture that says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's still in you, giving you the word of God for you to live. The picture that I had in my mind, I went to a friend's house and they made fresh from scratch sourdough rolls. They were so warm and beautiful and lovely. I was like, geez, if I could bake, oh man, you wouldn't be able to tell me nothing. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit in you consistently making fresh bread every single day? Your whole house smells warm and good like fresh bread every single day. Because he that's what he's doing in you, convincing you of the word every single day. So that's your good news. Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is working in you. Jesus is committed to you. And even when you don't got it, he does. Amen? Amen.